Well, good morning. I hope you can all see me. I can see shadows of everybody else. Man, these lights. I tell you, I got to put on some SPF 15 before I get up here. So, but it's great to be together this morning. As Jeff said, I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're joining us from the live stream, just want to say thank you also for joining us. If you're one of our uh, congregants, we wish you were here and we're praying for you and uh, be grateful and we'll rejoice with you whenever you're able to be here with us. Um, but we are continuing in our series in the book of Daniel. Uh, but before we do that, you know, we prayed just now and we're encouraging to two of our interns up here, or three of our interns, one who was not able to make it. But we have this, we have an intern who's working in our church week in and week out all throughout the year. And he does so much even just to get our services online, to, to have the live stream. And I just want to say thank you and to, you know, extend some praise to Noah, who helps us out every, every week. So... I'm not sure how much Noah appreciates me singling him out, but hey, man, we appreciate you very much. A number of years ago, I remember I went to this camp on Vancouver Island. It was a big camp, and they have a renowned uh, ropes course. Anybody ever done a ropes course before? Yeah, just one hand, me and Margot, that's it. And um, oh, there's a couple other hands. Bruce, you're in there too. Nice. Okay. Well, at this particular ropes course, they had this old swing set with three swings in it, and they had it winched up to these cables, and they had a tractor that once you got in the swing set, the tractor moved forward, and they pulled you well over 100 feet into the air on this swing set. And the person in the middle had this little pulley that you would pull when you were ready, and it would just drop you, right? And I was the person in the middle thinking, this is going to be great. I'm going to get these two who are on here with me all, like not knowing when I'm going to pull this. And I pulled it, and I wasn't ready. I tell you, my stomach was in my throat. I, the, the feeling of the free fall for 100 feet was terrifying. And only the relief came when all of a sudden the tension, was, uh, the tension came, the slack was gone, and I could feel like, like I was in some safe hands, right? I was, I was moving forward. I could tell, okay, this wasn't going to be plummeting to my death, right? And that we were okay. So I got off this high ropes course, and a friend of mine who was waiting in line, he's like, how was it? And I was like, I wish I had never done that. <laughs> the words that actually came out of my mouth were, it felt like God had just let go. And there's nothing that bothers me more in my life when f the feelings, like things are out of control. Like the most difficult times in my life have been when they felt like th I was in some sort of free fall because God had just let go. Like I was waiting for the diagnosis of a medical test. Or the time when I was wondering, will my newborn son ever make it out of the NICU and come home out of the hospital? You know, where these things not only seemed out of my hands, but they were completely out of control. When we were praying about the persecuted church and people in different countries right now where there's chaos. And I'm sure for them it feels like things are just out of everyone's control. And in the series through the book of Daniel, we've seen how chaotic and out of control life in Babylon seems for Daniel, right? 
Regimes and rulers have changed like an ever-revolving door. You know, his, he's been undermined by co-workers, and even his faithfulness to God has landed him in life-threatening scenarios. And I'm sure that during these times for Daniel, like they would for us, we would be tempted to give in to anxiety, to be afraid because of the chaos around us, to feel like God has just let go. But what we see in Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 to 27, is that despite how things may feel or appear, God wants you to know he's got it all under control. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the second half of Daniel chapter 9. Lord, I'm going to ask you that you would give us attentive hearts and minds this morning. That you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. And I just pray, God, that uh, we would receive great encouragement knowing, Lord, that you are at the, at the helm of history. And nothing is out of your control. And pray that we would... Uh, yeah, we would trust you and that we'd be encouraged this morning by your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Daniel says that while I was speaking and praying, he starts off in verse 20, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. And it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble, and after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. And in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, let's stand for this morning's benediction because we all understand everything that's happening here, do, don't we? Hmm. Needless to say, this is a very complex passage of biblical prophecy, which many of the best Christian thinkers throughout history have wrestled with to come, and they've come to different conclusions. And I don't think that today that I am going to be the one to, become, to come with you to the definitive interpretation of this passage this morning. But I do believe that God wants to speak an encouraging word to us through his word. 
So this section is introduced to us by Daniel telling us that he was interrupted in prayer and confession. We talked about that last week. And he's interrupted by Gabriel. He says this man, Gabriel. But we know that Gabriel's more than just a man. Gabriel is a messenger of God. He's an angel. And this isn't the first time that Gabriel has come to Daniel with a message. You know, a few weeks back, Pastor Reese preached on Daniel chapter 8, where Daniel has this strange vision of a conquering or concerning a ram and a goat with all these horns on its heads. And after that vision, Gabriel was sent then to Daniel to give him the meaning of that vision. Here in chapter 9, verse 2, tells us that Daniel had just finished reading a prophecy from Jeremiah concerning Israel's exile to Babylon. It's a good chance he was reading from Jeremiah 29, which says, This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Like we discussed last week, Daniel thought that Israel's time in exile was nearly up. And that's what he says in verse 2. Because according to Jeremiah's prophecy, It's going to last 70 years, and 70 years are nearly here. So Daniel does what the second half of Jeremiah's passage says. He calls on God. He seeks him with all of his heart. And this is what Gabriel interrupts. And in the same way that he did in chapter 8, Gabriel shows up in this chapter to give Daniel insight and understanding, it says in verse 22. Insight and understanding. Boy, I would love for God to send me an angel to give me direct insight and understanding in so many things, particularly it would have been helpful this week with passages like this. But why does Daniel need a heavenly interpretation of Jeremiah's prophecy? I can see why sending Gabe down for chapter 8 was necessary. Like That was a very confusing passage with the ram and the goat vision. But Daniel seems to understand Jeremiah's message fully, right? The exile would last 70 years. That's almost up. And then God's people should seek him, which is exactly what Daniel is doing. And it's excellent biblical application, by the way. Now, God needs to do his part. He needs to return his people and restore Jerusalem. What's difficult to understand about this? Well, sometimes when it comes to Scripture, there's more to what's going on than meets the eye, particularly when it comes to prophecy. Scriptures can often have layers of meaning. So like that Jeremiah text, I have heard people use this text for themselves on a number of times when they give their testimonies. They say, they love to quote, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for you to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And they apply this verse to themselves and what God desires for them. 
And on one level, that is true and right. God does love you. God desires to give you hope and a future. And that's one layer of meaning for that passage within the context of Scripture as a whole. But in its original context, that verse wasn't intended for you or for me, but it was intended for sinful Israelites who are about to get exiled. And understanding prophecy, even within its own context, can be difficult and fraught with misunderstanding. And unfortunately for Daniel, at this time, things aren't nearly as straightforward as they appear or as he would hope. Now, before we move on to Gabriel's message to Daniel in verses 24 to 27, there is three significant things I think that we can take from the first four verses, from 20 to 23. First, Daniel has made reading scripture and being in prayer a foundational part of his relationship with God, but also for his outlook on what's going on in the world. And we should do the same. We should make reading scripture and prayer foundational for our relationship with God and for our outlook on what's going on in the world. Now, this doesn't mean that we should look for signs of the end times or assume certain events in our day are fulfilling biblical prophecy. But a steady diet of being in God's presence and in his word should shape how we live in this world rather than allowing this world to shape our view of God or the scriptures. Second, Though Daniel is faithful to read the scriptures, as we will see in a moment, sometimes his understanding or his interpretation, it's going to be wrong. And the same is true for us. We want to be faithful when it comes to our understanding of scriptures. We always want to get it right, and we should always do the hard work it takes to understand this ancient literature written in a foreign language from a distant culture. But despite all the effort and prayer, sometimes, like Daniel, we are going to get it wrong too, and it's okay. Because look what God does for Daniel here. He sends Gabriel. He sends him to give him insight and understanding, and God has done even greater for us than sending an angel. He has given us his Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says, What no eye has seen and what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And so we should sing that refrain we were singing before the sermon. Pour your spirit out, Lord, as we open up the word. Pour your spirit out, Lord, as we listen to others who give their interpretation of the word. Pour your spirit out. But despite his great wisdom, Daniel is going to get it wrong sometimes, and so will we. But we can take comfort in knowing that God sends Gabriel to Daniel in order to correct him and to help him understand the scriptures And he'll do the same for us. God has given us the spirit to correct our misunderstandings and confusion about his word. We just need to be willing to be humble and to be open to correction. 
So that's the second significant thing. The third significant thing that we see in these verses 20 to 23 is that Gabriel tells Daniel the reason God sent him to give him this interpretation, and it is because Daniel is loved. He says in verse 23, As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, Daniel. You are cherished, Daniel. You are loved. God sends his messenger to Daniel because God loves him. And the foundational message of the Bible is that God loves the world, right? God is love. And when his people who are living under threat of chaos, they cry out to him. This God of love sends messengers to them to show them that he cares about them. But he also wants them them to know he's got it all under control. He sent Moses to his people when they cried out to him in the deserts of Egypt. He sent the judges and the prophets when they were oppressed in their own land. And he sends an angel to Daniel when he's exiled in Babylon because God loves his people and he loves you and he loves me. And in the midst of all of our uncertainty, God wants us to know that we are loved. Despite how chaotic things may seem, he is sovereign. He still has it all under control. Now, despite the confusing aspects of Gabriel's message to Daniel in verses 24 to 27, and the potential to misstep in our interpretation, there is one thing that is clear in all of it. That things aren't just spinning out of control. God has not let go. Verse 24 says, verse 24 has good news for us, but it also has some bad news for Daniel. Gabriel starts by saying, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city. This is the bad news. Remember, Daniel has just finished reading Jeremiah's prophecy, and he understood it as 70 years of exile. And according to Daniel's math, That time is almost up, and so he thought that they were on the cusp of moving back. But Gabriel's message is that exile, it's only just begun. Now the word that the NIV translates here as sevens is the Hebrew word heptads. It's the word also used for weeks. So maybe some of you have a different English translation, and it would say 70 weeks are decreed. But the word literally means Units of seven. So a heptad is a unit of seven. And throughout scripture, um, there are certain numbers, lots of them, but certain numbers like 10, 12, 666, 144,000. These are used symbolically, and they must not be taken literally. And the number seven is chief of the symbolic numbers. Seven is symbolic of a state of completeness or wholeness, perfection, and not lacking anything. This is why God rests on the seventh day, right? Because all his work is complete. This is why when Jesus says we should forgive someone, he says 77 times or seven times 70. He's not suggesting that we have this running tally, but rather that our mercy should not be lacking in the same way that God's mercy towards us is never lacking, but is perfect. So the time in exile, it's not even close to being up. If 
we understand Gabriel to be saying that Daniel and company, they've only finished the first 70, and they've got six more 70s to go, then according to my math, which you should not trust, um, there's 490 years in total if we take the numbers literally. However, there's good reason not to, but to understand them as symbolism. But before we go into that, we need to consider the good news that Gabriel also shares in verse 24. He says about the things that God wants to accomplish in this time. The angel says that God is going to finish transgression. So he's going to finish all wrongdoing. He says he's going to put an end to sin. He's going to atone for wickedness. He's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. We spoke about how righteousness last week is all about right relationships. So there will be everlasting right relationships. He's going to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. That sounds awesome, right? An end to sin, everlasting good relationships. Man, this sounds perfect to me. But Daniel was hoping that the 70 years would be up and that they could go back to the way things used to be, right? They could go back to the good old days in Jerusalem in the promised land, but Gabriel is saying, actually, it's going to take a whole lot longer than that. But God has something far greater in mind than just going back to the good old days. And by the way, the good old days weren't even that good. The good old days never are. God is always moving things. He's always, he's, he's never moving things backwards, but he is always moving things forward. Forward to his kingdom coming. Forward to where his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forward to when evil is brought to an end, where we will no longer sin. Towards the day when everything in heaven and on earth will be reconciled with him and we will never experience another broken relationship ever again. God is moving things towards this time where all of his promises will come to pass. And this is what Gabriel says God is accomplishing in and through history. And though our lives or times may feel like they are out of control, or maybe we wish things would move according to our timelines, God's message to Daniel and to us is that there is a plan and he is still in charge of it. Verses 25 to 27 are the most difficult of this passage to understand. So please stick with me here. Gabriel takes these 70 periods of seven, these 70 heptads, and he divides them into three parts, charting a kind of forward-looking history. First, there is a time that is made up of seven heptads. That's the first. Second, there is a time made up of 62 heptads. So 7 plus 62 is 69 heptads. And how many in total are there? 70. So that means there's how many left? Good. My math is correct too. That leaves one heptad left. One final period of 7. Got it? If not, we... You can go on YouTube later, rewind it, and watch it again, right? The, it's the beauty of technology. In these first two parts, 
the first seven and the second 62. Gabriel says that Jerusalem will be rebuilt and restored, but it's not perfect. It's going to be in times of trouble. He also then says that an anointed one, where the word is Messiah, the ruler will come. So that's in the second part. Then in the third part, after the 62 heptads, the anointed one or Messiah will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So this ruler who will come, this is a bad character who leads people astray. And then he says, the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. Finally, in that last period, the last heptad, the evil ruler who is to come, he will confirm a covenant with many for the one seven. One final heptad, and in the middle of that period, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. So he's going to stop people from worshiping God. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Whew. These final verses have had many theologians and biblical scholars speculating as to how and when this prophecy is fulfilled. Some believe that this was already fulfilled 150 years before Jesus came to earth by an Assyrian king named Antiochus Epiphanes. He conquered Jerusalem and he killed the high priest. He was also known as the Anointed One. That was his nickname. And he set up an altar to Zeus in the temple. He actually killed a, a pig in the temple. And this would have been an abomination that causes desolation. Others believe that none of this has taken place yet, that it's all to take place in the future. But see, the problem with both of these views is that they rely on calculating the numbers, taking them literally and starting from various starting points, which all have some significant problems. Here's what I think. That great part in verse 24, like the awesome part where God's kingdom is coming, has come in full, where he has dealt fully with sin and evil, where righteousness has been restored forever. Has that happened yet? Do you sin? Do I? No, it hasn't happened completely yet, right? I'm still sinning. I still see other people doing it. And so the entire 70, it's not completed yet. But has an anointed one come? Has a Messiah come and been put to death? Yes. Jesus is the Messiah, and he was put to death. So parts one and part two are completed. 69 heptads finished, one more to go, right? So here we are in the last days, the, the home stretch, just as Gabriel says, those last days, they will be chaotic with wars and desolation, just as we experience. You know, if you ever have somebody who comes up to you and says, I believe that we're in the last days, you should be like, well, yeah, we are. Ever since Jesus showed up on the scene, he started declaring, the kingdom of God is at hand. That was basically just saying, in me, the last days are here. But I don't think we should try and read much more than that from this text. See, too often Christians have been unwise to read the signs of the times and predict where the final heptad will come to an end and who that evil ruler to come is and, and when and where Jesus will return. 
But Jesus himself said, But about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So if Jesus and the angels don't know when, we should also be content not knowing the time. Rather, Jesus tells his followers how they, what they should concern themselves with, and that's trusting him and being faithful. I don't believe that God sent Gabriel to Daniel to inform him when this was all going to happen, when it was all going to come to an end. If Jesus says that not even the angels know the exact end date, then that's not what this passage is about. I think God sent his messenger to let him know, I've got this all under control. I said earlier how the foundational message of the Bible is that God loves the world and that one of his ways of doing things is that when people feel threatened by chaos and cry out to them, that he sends messengers to them to show them that he cares. And this chapter points ahead to the greatest time in history when God did just that. He didn't just send a prophet or even an angel, but God sent his one and only son. God came himself. Because he loves the world. Because he loves you. When Jesus, the anointed one, came, he entered into the chaos of our world. He felt every painful, fearful, anxious thing, just like we experience. And for three years, he proclaimed that this final heptad would soon be over, that God's kingdom was at hand, and that Jesus showed that in him, God's kingdom was breaking into this world. And Jesus also brought order to all of the chaos. He brought order to the chaos of the sea when he spoke a word and just calmed it. He brought order to the chaos of a woman's life when he stopped her hemorrhaging. When he cast out demons and when he raised the dead. You see, for those who put their hope and trust in him, Jesus takes care of our transgressions. He puts an end to sin for us. He pays the price for our wickedness, so he atones for it, and he makes us right with God. He fulfills all those things in verse 24. Jesus did that, as Gabriel says to Daniel in verse 26, when the anointed one was put to death, was left with nothing. 1 Peter 2 says that through Jesus' death, that he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, we have been healed. All of these amazing promises that Gabriel delivers to Daniel, they can begin to be a reality for you and I right now because of the death and the resurrection of Christ. We don't have to wait. We just need, like Daniel to cry out to him. See, when we cry out to God, it doesn't mean that he's going to immediately take away all the difficulty from our lives that we deal with. He didn't do that for Daniel. But God let Daniel know that he has a plan for all of this, that he was still in control, that he was sovereign, and that Daniel was a part of God's plans. And so are we. We also are a part of God's plans. So then, like Daniel, I don't need to fully understand it all in order to trust God. I can be encouraged by what I do understand. And what's most clear to us is that God loves us, that Christ died for us, 
that he's coming back again and that he's got all of this under his control. So we want to live faithfully into this. How we want to live faithfully, trusting God, giving ourselves over to his peace, not giving into fear or anxiety. And, but this isn't just some passive thing that we don't participate in. It doesn't just happen to us, but we participate in this with God. So the first thing that I would challenge us to do is to stop looking back. Stop wishing things would go back to the way things were. Daniel was looking back, wanting to go back to Jerusalem, right? We can't be looking back to the good old days, you know, before the pandemic or, you know, back in Calvary's heyday 10, 15 years ago, whenever it is. Rather, as Christians, we are called to be forward-looking. We are called to hope and to pray for the day of the Lord, the day that Jesus returns, where he's going to fulfill those verse 24 promises. We are to be people who look forward to what God has in store and to allow him to move through us in this, our present circumstances and to place our hope and desires in him to work and pray for his kingdom to come. So that's the first thing we need to do, is to be forward-looking. Second, Daniel shows us to dig into the scriptures and to cry out to God in prayer. And Jesus, he spent significant time doing this during his time on earth. He would meet with God to give him the concerns that the world tried to place on him so that he could align himself with his Father's will. And we need to do that too. We need to regularly feed ourselves on a, on a diet of scripture and prayer. We need to find the quiet, lonely places to get away with God so that we can give up the things this world is trying to place on us so we can give them over to God and we can align ourselves with his will. And finally, when it comes to the circumstances in our lives that seem out of control or we feel like they threaten our security, we need to trust God that he still has our lives in his hands. He is still in control. He's still working all things for the good of those who love him. But I also want to encourage you, you're not meant to bear these burdens alone. Not only do we have the spirit of God and the father who eagerly awaits our prayers, but we have brothers and sisters in the family of God who are eager to bear our burdens together. You know, I keep coming back to Philippians even though we've long since passed that series. But when I think about trusting God and not living with anxiety in my own life, Philippians 4, 6-7 speaks to me. It says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, in the Messiah, the anointed one, right? Who was and is and is to come. 